This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us today. Well, there's lots happening in the world of workers' compensation, and we all need to be educated and get up to date when it comes to current trends in the industry. So today on Ringler Radio, we're going to be talking about reducing workers' compensation costs and uh, also indicating what the current trends are within the workers' comp arena and also discuss how the use of structured settlements is consistently growing within the workers' compensation industry. And joining me for all this is my Ringler colleague as co-host, Peter Early, from our Bedford, New Hampshire uh, Ringler office. Peter joined Ringler in 2005. Prior to joining Ringler, he worked in the Washington, uh, D.C. office of U.S. Senator from Rhode Island, I think, uh, Lincoln Chafee. Wasn't that right, Peter? That's correct. Terrific. And you lobbied down there on behalf of the healthcare industry. So, Peter, welcome to Ringler Radio and uh, glad to have you serving as co-host. Thanks, Larry. Good to be back. Well, our special guest today is risk consultant and attorney Rebecca Schaefer, president of AMAX Risk Solutions, Inc. Becky is an expert in workers' compensation cost containment. She's developed workers' compensation practices for several large insurance brokers and for the past 20 years has worked directly with dozens of organizations, helping them reduce their workers' compensation costs. Becky is also an accomplished speaker, writer, and publisher, and is the author of Workers' Compensation Management Program, Reduce Costs 20 to 50%. Sounds good, Becky. Welcome to Ringler Radio. Thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, Becky, let's start uh, by discussing the current state of the workers' compensation industry. What's the latest uh in that field? Well, I guess one of the, the first place to start is that workers' comp is the largest line of insurance coverage, and it covers approximately 150 million employees. So we're not talking about a small problem here. This is a major issue for many companies in the, in the country. And um, that at about 12%, workers' comp had the largest growth in the average total cost per $1,000 of revenue than any other line of insurance coverage over the last two years. So it's important that we keep it in perspective that it's a, it's a large and growing problem for many, many employers. Okay, good. Uh, Becky, can you talk to us a little bit about any new features or, or trends that are going on currently within the industry? As far as trends, um, there are a couple of things that are going on in workers' comp um, over the last six months to a year. There's more control over prescription medication usage than there has been in the past. It's been a growing problem, and so um, there are a number of reforms that are taking place in, in the legislative arenas to control uh, the, the use and the overuse of, and the overprescription of, of medication. There's also some discussion about the impact and role of families in the workers' compensation claims. Um, families with injured spouse, injured husbands or wives are caught up in a very odd system that have, has a profound impact on their life. 
And so while there's some statutory protection in the death claims, there, um, it, it rarely extends beyond that to the injured worker's family. So that's something that, that is getting a lot of talk these days. Well, Becky, give our listeners uh, some of the ways uh, that we can cut workers' compensation costs. Sure. Well, I think one of the first things that employers need to consider is that um, they need to understand why their costs are high, and, and it, it's different for um, different employers. Many of the employers with the high workers' compensation costs blame their TPA, they blame their broker, they say, oh, it's nurse case management is, cost, is costing too much, but they don't really have a fundamental idea of why or fundamental knowledge of why their problem, what their problem is and what's driving their cost. So the first place for them to start is to get a thorough assessment and really understand the problem. Um, a couple things that, that they might consider would be um, having a safety director, having very tight post-injury response procedures, communicating more with their employees. Some of the basic fundamental actions that most employers fail to take but should be taking, um, for instance, communicating with their employees. Mm -hmm. Well, and obviously, uh, Becky, this is what your company does. It goes in and helps these companies uh, get their hands around all this. What are some of the what are some of the things that you have found as you go in to see these companies? You mentioned a few that that kind of stick out that, that where, where a lot of companies are failing to to really contain costs. Well, I think that the first the first area is they're they're misdiagnosing the problem, and um, you know they're blaming somebody else for not managing their claims when they, as the employer, really need to manage their claims. And the TPA or the insurance carrier administers their claims, but isn't prepared to manage the claim in the in the um, context of what happens in the workplace when the employee is injured. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably the basic fundamental um, fundamental problem where it all starts. Um, they don't have a good workers' compensation team in place, um, or they, uh, for instance, an interdisciplinary team where there's management, labor, perhaps even an employee, um, and people from HR and safety all on the team to discuss the workers' compensation situation. So I think having the right structure is, is a good place to start. Um, there are a lot of things that they can do. Um, for instance, they might hold a vendor day and have a chairside visit. A chairside visit is just exactly what it sounds like. The employer makes a chairside visit to the third-party administrator or the insurance company and actually sits next to the adjuster for a few hours to see how their claims are being handled. It gives them a very good understanding of if there are gaps, um, what they could be doing to fill those gaps, as well as having a discussion with the adjuster on what some of their ideas might be to to reduce costs for the employer. Well, that's interesting. It sounds a little intimidating for the adjuster, doesn't it? It's interesting. Well, you have to make it so it's just more of a of a friendly meeting because they do, of course, think, oh, it's you know we're here for an evaluation when when we're really not. We're there to gather just gather information and just like right. a sponge, just soak as much up as they possibly can. Well, they got to bring the donuts and coffee. I think that's important. That's exactly right. There you go. Becky, I recently read an article that you wrote called uh, Treating the Whole Elephant, a Holistic Approach to Reducing Workers' Compensation Costs. Um, and in that article, you talked a lot about the things that you just mentioned and how uh, in order to succeed in, in cutting your costs on the workers' comp side, you need to see the whole elephant. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by seeing the whole elephant? Sure. Most employers 
workers' compensation is not their specialty. Their specialty is running a company or make, making a product or being a professional in another field, but their, their field is not workers' compensation cost containment. So they don't know what to look for, and they do what I call, they, they take a dartboard approach. They'll, they'll just, like, take the dart, throw it at the dartboard, and that's the problem, whatever they land on. They're not taking a, a larger, more holistic view to see what they can do internally. And instead of looking in the mirror, they're looking outside to see what other people are not doing. And so that's really what they need to do is take a, a, a very comprehensive look. And, and sometimes they can't do it. Sometimes they need to have somebody else do it. Um, for instance, their, their broker. Take a comprehensive look at what's driving their costs. You know, it's interesting, Becky. You, you stress getting this, what I call the real story, uh, mm-hmm. setting up the right corporate structure. You've talked about, you know, making sure the claims are being monitored properly. And, and you've also talked several times now about understanding what the third-party administrators are really doing, what they're providing uh, to the workers' compensation program. Expound a little bit more on that because it sounds like how that process is set up is critical to the success of any workers' compensation program. Yeah, it really is. Um, the, the third-party administrator or the insurance company who's handling the claims has um, the role of administering the claims, and that's paying out the benefits. Now, some third-party administrators or insurance companies will do a little bit more as far as making phone calls to the employees and, and initiating communication with three parties and that sort of thing. But basically, it's to pay the benefits at the right time so there's no penalty assessed. Um, but the employer really needs to take control of the claims from, in, from internally in his workplace. Um, and if he's not managing the claims, there's a void. And what happens is the employee begins to manage their own claim. And that's definitely not something that's a positive factor for the employer. So they really need to take charge of the claim. So they have to have that management individual at the employer's uh, place of business that's really monitoring, looking after the third party, the TPA, the uh, and or or the insurance carrier. Do you find that the people in those roles are adequately trained for that task, or are you finding, in, as you do your uh, do your research, that uh, there's a lot of room for improvement there? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because um, there's a range of people that are managing the claims internally. If it's a small company, for instance, I've seen cases where um, the the general manager is actually taking charge of the claims, and that works out just fine. I've also seen situations where the admin for the president of a company will will monitor and manage the claims, and that those situations have worked out very well. It just needs to be somebody who can stay on top of the claims, make a phone call every once in a while, make sure that the process is running smoothly, and and, and be willing to learn the field. I myself learned from the ground up. I knew nothing about workers' comp when I started as litigation manager at a Fortune 500 company, but I learned from the ground up, as do a lot of people in the field today. No question. Uh, that learning from the, the ground up, as you say, I mean, there's a lot of resources out there to look to, too, to, to get that information and that knowledge. Uh, I'm sure that uh, these continuing education programs that people always talk about are critical in the workers' compensation arena, especially with all the, the, the flux of changes that go on. Absolutely, absolutely critical that um, who's involved, that the people involved in the workers' compensation claim management field are allowed to go to continuing education seminars. I see it quite frequently where they'll have somebody managing the safety in the company, and the, but there's no budget for continuing education for the person to to learn. 
So that's a, a huge mistake that an employer yeah. makes is to have no budget for continuing education for the people managing their claims. It's a penny, uh, penny wise, pound foolish. Yeah, it sounds short-sighted. It really does. Well, let's take a quick break right now and be back in just a minute with uh, our special guest, Becky Schaefer, and uh, my co-host, Peter Earle. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit ringlerassociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm joined by my colleague from Ringler and my co-host, Peter Early, and our special guest, Becky Schaefer. Becky, what are your general thoughts on what we call return-to-work programs? Well, return-to-work programs are a critical element of a good workers' compensation cost management program. Um, Every employer needs to have a return-to-work program, and there are many types of return-to-work programs, many more than 20 years ago, um, that for an employer that doesn't want to have an on-site return-to-work program can also consider an off-site return-to-work program, volunteer work, charitable work, and that sort of thing. But having it is essential because more than 50% of a workers' comp cost in some companies is attributed to indemnity costs or lost wage payments. So to reduce those costs, uh, the employees have to be brought back to work as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And a factor, another factor that leads to the increase in those costs is that in order for somebody to stay out of work, they also have to have more medical visits to, to, to stay out of work. Mm-hmm. So it's best to bring them back the day of the injury if it's possible, um, and if not, as soon as possible after that. One thing that many employers miss is that they need to get the medical restrictions at the first medical visit. If they don't do that, they've automatically converted a medical-only claim to a lost time claim. So they need to make sure that when the employee leaves the, the facility, headed to the doctor's office or the clinic, that they have a um, a workability form with them so the doctor can provide the medical restrictions on the first medical visit. Yeah, that's interesting. Very important. You know, Becky, you, you talk about the importance of getting people back to work and, and monitoring the, you know, the, the medical programs and treatment. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of times, as we all know, we run into problems where you see fraud and abuse in the workers' comp system. Can you talk a little bit more about ways that you can monitor and control that problem and ultimately steps that we can take towards, you know, getting rid of that fraud and abuse? 
Sure. Um, you know, unfortunately, we do see some of that. We see probably 5% of the claims are, would be fraudulent claims where an injury never occurred, but a far greater percentage, probably 20% of claims, are exaggerated claims. In other words, the person was injured, but they're out of work too long, longer than is medically necessary. So, it's, um, so we have kind of two groups of claims that we consider when we're reducing the cost of, of fraud and, and controlling abuse. Uh, one of the solutions is nurse triage is an excellent way to control the, the situation because the, when the employee speaks with a nurse as their initial contact, um, it's much more difficult for them to change the facts of the injury and how the injury occurred later on. And also the nurse discusses the type of care that's needed immediately. Approximately 40% of those injuries are eliminated because the nurse require, has suggested self-care. In other words, go home, rest, put ice on your back. Mm -hmm. So nurse triage is one type of solution. Also communicating more frequently, having what we call a first-day phone call where the employer calls the employee on the first day of their, um, their injury, sending get-well cards, having weekly meetings, just really ramping up the communication between the employer and the employee. Not only does that reduce fraud, it also keeps employees from seeking legal counsel. Um, so that's w another area that we focus on. Mm -hmm. Also, definitely I'm a big proponent of using private investigation to do surveillance to see with my own eyes what the employee's capabilities really are. And my advice on that in that regard is to spend more, not less. Work closely with your TPA and make sure you're using private investigation to verify that the employee is actually disabled to the extent that they say that they're disabled. Mm -hmm. so those are a couple of my favorite uh, favorite ways to reduce fraud. Well, of course, you you need suspicion that they're you know malingering there before you would probably get that subrosa stuff going, right? I mean, uh, you wouldn't do that early on. No, I no. wouldn't. But I'd use um, what we call injury duration guidelines, and if, in a, if the injury duration guideline were to say that, that the average time uh, that an employee would be disabled would be two weeks, for example, and the employee brings a note from their doctor saying they need to be out for 14 weeks, well, there's a, an indicator that if something isn't quite right. So in that case, I might do a little bit more investigation. So anybody that's outside the, the parameters of the disability right. guidelines would be uh, a key on my, my list for possible investigation. And I think a lot of what you, you mentioned have, has to do with uh, common sense caring. You know, you mentioned uh, calling, uh, get well cards, uh, just paying attention to the injured party so that they – they feel that they're, they're significant and they're they're you know they're important in the cog uh, important cog in the employer's operation. Yeah, exactly. That that's the message that the employer needs to have is you're an important part of our business. We need mm -hmm. to have you here, and the employee needs to hear that. It, whether it's in brochures or, or phone calls or meetings, they they really need to understand that they're wanted in that workplace. Yeah, that goes a long way. No question about it. Well, over the years, uh, Becky, structured settlements and the settlement of workers' comp claims have. Uh, gone hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, are you seeing a growing use of structured settlements in the workers' comp arena? Yes, yes. Structured settlements play a major role in reducing the overall cost of the claims, and it's becoming more widely uh, used recently. Um, employers still need to know how to implement a partnership with a structured settlement company. Mm -hmm. um, structured settlements have a lot of benefits. Um, of course, the, the main one is that it provides financial security for the injured employee, uh, in a tax-free manner, just like their workers' compensation benefits would be. 
So there is a, a really uh, strong use of structured settlements within the industry. You know, what, what we find uh, is that when some of these workers' comp cases are lump-summed uh, and, and without a structure, uh, sometimes that, 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 that's not beneficial for anybody because not only does the, does the injured party sometimes dissipate that money and, and is somewhat destitute looking you know, out there on their own, but sometimes with the lump sum, they also go out and splurge a little bit. And so other employees look at that and say, hey, maybe that's something I should be able to do too. So yeah. I, I, I know there's a protective device with a structure for the employee, but a, I think a, it also helps the employer in just setting the right tone for what settlements are all about. Yeah, and I think one thing to keep in mind, too, is that the um, many employers don't know that they need to have uh, the use of any of their vendors, such as the structured settlement firms, included in their special account handling instructions. Yes. Um, I can't tell you that most of them don't know that even have account handling instructions, but they need to be very specific in their account instructions to indicate the name of the company that they're using and the name of the representative at the company that they're using and indicate that, for instance, every claim over a certain threshold should be reviewed by Ringler for structured settlement possibilities. Uh, And and every claim that's receiving Medicare or could receive Medicare in the not-too-distant future should be reviewed for structured settlement possibilities. So, you know, they need to include that and have the specific language, work with their Ringler broker to determine what that language should be. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I I think, uh, you know, the communication both ways, we have to educate you know the employers as to how they have to set their program up, and uh, and specify those those vendors you mentioned those those people that are going to help them keep their costs under control. One of the things I've seen in the industry with national carriers recently is that I ran across a couple that have every claim over five thousand dollars reviewed for structured settlement possibilities. Mm-hmm. So you know, where that threshold might be considered low to some, it is being used um, as a best practice by several of the large carriers. I think Peter and I like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you talk a lot, Becky, about the importance of setting up a program, um, you know, and, and on the structured settlement side of things, I know that that's a, a, a big aid for Larry and I, because, you know, one of the things that you talked about is is how much the structured settlement can help um, the injured party, but also, you know, what, what might get lost is how much of an asset it can be both in negotiations um, and early settlement of claims if there's a, a structure broker involved in the negotiations. Um, can you give us a real life example of a case that you have seen where uh, structured settlement was utilized and it was actually to the benefit of all the parties involved? Yeah, sure. Um, I had um, a a claim not too long ago. It was a five-year-old claim. Um, The employee was injured at a large theme park and had sustained a fairly serious back injury and was never going to be able to wear that. They have heavy costumes at the theme parks, was never going to be able to wear the full body heavy costume and resume um, his original position. He wasn't going to be able to get in and out of the costume, wasn't going to be able to stand for long hours at a time, and the employer wanted to settle the claim because it was an old, older claim and an ongoing claim, and it didn't seem to be um, going anywhere else other than just a lifetime claim. So the structure, structure was arranged. It was a $350,000 settlement, and they funded the structure for approximately $280,000, giving a $70,000 savings to the employer, plus 
Um, they obtained a release of some additional collateral that was being held on that po- for that policy year, mm-hmm. and there were no more administrative costs on that year. So, and the, the good thing about it was it, it was a continuing stream of income for the employee and his family, and so it really put them in a much better situation than if they had received a lump sum because there were some psychosocial issues here um, that would have made it more likely that that money wasn't uh, didn't last a long time. And so um, this was a very good thing for all the parties involved. It was a great resolution for all involved. Terrific. Uh, you know, I, I like hearing stories like that. It, uh, it really points to the issues that you mentioned before about how everyone can win with a structured settlement if it's done properly. And uh, finally, as we wrap up here, Becky, can you provide us with some helpful tips that, you know, we may not have touched upon during the show for anyone who might have uh, suffered an accident at work? Any, anything to impart to them? Yeah, and um, you know, I have several friends that have have occupational injuries, so I've seen it firsthand. Um, I think they need to stay on top of their claim. They need to communicate frequently with their employer and with the insurance adjusters. And if they're not satisfied with the with the results they're getting with the adjuster and the employer, they need to speak to the supervisor at the insurance carrier. So they need to really make a a concerted effort to stay involved. Um, doing such things as providing their medical information as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. and being open to the transitional duty options that may be offered to them and saying that they want to come back to transitional duty if a position's available to them. So they really need to um, stay on top of their own claim and not just let it linger along also. Well, those are good points. You know, this is a workers' comp is a is a complex area. You know, it involves so many so many issues, employers, employees, et cetera, uh, and also a lot of the dynamics that go on. As you, as Peter mentioned before, with some of the abuse that goes on and uh, the monitoring of all this, and how every party in this process has to has to do their job right to make it work uh, is is kind of staggering. That's why people like yourself and Amax Risk Solutions help employers and others really get their hands around this. So how, how would somebody get in touch with you, Becky, if they needed to really talk more about it? Well, my phone number is 860-786-8286. And my email is um, becky at reduceyourworkerscomp.com. Terrific. Is there, is there a, a website that AMAX has that you yes, could go to? www.lowerwc.com. Terrific, terrific. And uh, Peter, how about you? How about if someone wanted to get a hold of you? Uh, Larry, my phone number is uh, 603-423-0055. And uh, my email address is pearly at ringlerassociates.com. Terrific. And if uh, any of our listeners want to get a hold of any of the Ringler Associates out there around the country, you can go to ringlerassociates.com. It's a terrific website. It's been recently upgraded with a lot of good information, especially about the workers' comp arena. Uh And, of course, you can download any Ringler Radio show from ringlerassociates.com. You can also do that from ringlerradio.com or from legaltalknetwork.com. You can even go to iTunes and download from there. Uh, It's a pretty cool cool way to do it. So, uh, Becky, thank you very much for uh, all of your uh, insight today. We've really enjoyed having you on the show. You're welcome. I appreciate the invitation. Peter, thanks for being a great co-host. Anytime, Larry. And for all the rest of you out there, go have a great day. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. With over a million listeners, Ringler Associates 
the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.